This Dharma talk was recorded at Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. Welcome everyone to Prairie Mountain Zen Center. Today we are fortunate to have a talk from our longtime Sangha member, Isabel Andre. Isabel started formal Dharma practice in the early 80s at Tyson Deshimaru's Zendo in Paris. She subsequently practiced with Thich Nhat Hanh and various Sanghas until joining PMZC in recent years. Alongside Buddhism, she has also delved into the Vedantic tradition for decades. Isabel has been committed to bearing witness to some deep suffering in the world with a particular focus on women's rights and global access to AIDS treatment while finding solace in nature and gardening. She has worked in both traditional and holistic healthcare as well as in horticulture, teaching about herbs, companion planting, and wildlife habitat gardens. Thank you, Isabel, and we look forward to your talk. First, thank you, Kieran, for being our faithful doan uh, day after day, time week after week. I have really appreciated it. And thanks for to the, those of you who are showing up during this holiday weekend. Very much appreciate it. And thanks, Jodo-san, for inviting me to talk. Uh, so the title of my talk is Contentment and the Bodhisattva Path. And as usual, I've entered two of my inspiration articles in the chat. I will refer to them during the talk. If you're interested in reading them, you can copy them. And Contentment is a key teaching in Theravadan Buddhism. And I would say it's implicit in Soto Zen teachings too. Uh, and it's in its lifestyle. In the Dhammapada, the Buddha said, contentment is the highest wealth. And also in the B Buddha's discourse just before his Paranibbana, which is his death, he stressed again the virtue of contentment. Quote, bhikkhus, if you wish to escape from dukkha, you must see that you are contented. The virtue of contentment is the basis of abundance, happiness, peace, and seclusion. Those who are contented are happy even though they have to sleep on the ground. Those who are not contented would not be so though they lived in celestial mansions. So since it's such an important uh, quality in the Buddhist tradition, uh, what is contentment? Uh, contentment could be defined as an ability to be fulfilled in one's present state rather than depending excessively on external conditions for happiness. And sometimes it's easier to define contentment by its opposite. So what would be the essence of non-contentment? Well, the essence of non-contentment would be to be dissatisfied with one's current state and always looking for something new in order to get fulfilled. It's actually easy to notice because it will always lead to some mental discomfort. 
we might eventually become more apt at detecting that our impulse to acquire the things which we don't pres presently possess, we might become more apt at detecting that our impulse to acquire the things which we don't presently possess becomes the underlying motivation for our life. So contentment stems from a mind which has learned to tame and rechannel unquenchable cravings into a higher consciousness geared towards more beneficial undertakings. There is a great definition by Ajahn Brahmavamsu, it's Brahm for short. Contentment is the Quote, contentment is the opposite of a fault-finding mind. Whether we find joy or not depends on the way we train our perception. It's within our power to change the way we look at things. In meditation, we can see the breath as dull and routine, or we can see it as very beautiful and unique. If you are truly contented, then you're still and quiet. See if you can deepen your contentment because it is the antidote for restlessness. Restlessness arises because we do not appreciate the beauty of contentment. End of quote. I really love that definition and I hope it spoke to you too. So now I would like to address contentment and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, good topic for Americans, but for all of us anyway. Uh, wisdom points to the fact that the pursuit of happiness as a goal is unrealistic, since life depends on multiple conditions and is therefore unpredictable. Suffering may arise at any time. Also, the happiness one feels from getting something, we all know that typically it doesn't last very long. Even deep meditation states dissipate rapidly once we re-engage the messiness of life. In the end, when we think that we want to be happy, we are reinforcing the assumption that we are not happy. Since acquisitions and accomplishments are impermanent, we inevitably end up feeling shortchanged, whether in regard to mind states, possessions, or relationships. A life based on unchecked desires leads to ongoing stress, as we constantly look for new ways to pursue happiness. To pursue implies that we're always trying to catch up. This all-pervading sense of dissatisfaction and perpetual striving distracts us from the totality of our world. <clears throat> so now I want to address contentment and consumerism. So where does this word consumerism actually come from? It comes from the Latin consumere to use up or to waste. Uh, as a nurse, t I know that TB used to be called consumption because one wasted away. From the standpoint of the modern economic order, human life appears to have one sole purpose, 
to purchase and enjoy goods. The people we hear about most are those fulfilling the consumerist dream, reveling in power and luxuries. According to local Buddhist scholar David Loy, consumerism has become a type of religion for us, which sounds pretty sobering to me. Quote, why do we assume that consumption poverty is the same as ill-being? Material well-being has become increasingly important because of our loss of faith in any other possibility of fulfillment. For example, an afterlife in heaven with God, or the secular heaven of socialism, or even when despairing over the ecological crisis, or other crises, I would add, the future progress of humankind. Increasing our standard of living has become so compulsive for us because it serves as a substitute for traditional relig religious values. Or more precisely, it has actually become a kind of secu secular religion for us, since our needs, or rather our wants, are now taken for granted as defining our common humanity. We are encouraged to forget what for Buddhism is an essential human attribute, if we are to be happy, the need for self-limitation, end of the quote. So we know that according to the second noble truth, craving is the cause of suffering. By its nature, craving is insatiable. When we are holding on to unwholesome qualities such as anger or greed, there is no peace of mind, even if we are rich or well-educated. As an alternative, the Buddha recommends the cultivation of wholesome qualities such as contentment. Otherwise, we are always involved in some lack project, as David Loy calls them. In the words of Anam Tupten Rinpoche, quote, societies can become prosperous and modern based on the enlightened principles of love, compassion, and generosity. What we obviously all deserve is to have our basic needs met, food, shelter, medicine, and education, to have dignity, to be able to enjoy life and not constantly suffer from hunger, unbearable pain, and injustice. And relatively speaking, most of us in developed economies already enjoy a fairly high and pain-free standard of living. As long as we lack inner contentment, we're going to have this hungry ghost occupying our hearts and we'll constantly strive for more of this or that. Imagine if everyone in the world starts living like Americans. Can our fragile planet support billions of people indulging in excessive consumerism? End of quote. In the West, we find few role models of contentment. I recently read an opinion piece in the French paper Le Monde, however, stating that at this juncture, 
considering the overwhelming challenges befalling us, renunciation, which had acquired a bad name in the past century, might resurface as the best option on the table. So how do we, who have committed ourselves to the Bodhisattva path, address this malady of unbridled greed and consumption in our own life? So that's when I'm now coming to the topic that I had uh, thought I would talk about, contentment and the Bodhisattva path. So we know that our human needs extend far beyond the physiological realm. They also cover the psychological, emotional, and spiritual needs. Even our physiological needs change as civilization progresses. So we can ask the question, do we have to give up all the material amenities and comforts of modern civilization if we take the teaching on contentment seriously? And uh, there is a bhikkhu who was actually contentment in his name. So I guess that was his, one of his specialties. Bhikkhu Nyanatushita, here's what he says, quote, The Buddha taught that all actions are conditioned by a certain view. According to the Buddha, if one's view is wrong, the consequent actions will be unwholesome. Likewise, if one view is right, the consequent actions will be wholesome. Wholesome action leads to the well-being and happiness of oneself and others. Unwholesome action to the detriment and harm of oneself and others. The aspect of harmlessness is an important part of right view. Qualities such as moderation and frugality do not entail the foregoing of all comfort and happiness, but entail the simplification of one's lifestyle, the development of a sense of responsibility and an awareness about the consequences of one's lifestyle." End of quote. So what we need to start focusing very intently is on harmony is harmlessness in all areas of our lives by asking ourselves about the impact of our lifestyle and our consumption on other human and sentient beings and on the environment. Do we need more or do we want more? In the Mangala Sutta, the Buddha says, reverence, humility, contentment, gratitude, an opportune hearing of the Dhamma. This is the highest blessing. And actually, the Sutra on the Eight Realizations of Great Beings sets forth some similar concepts for the Bodhisattva path. So I've taken little snippets of some of these realizations and then uh, expound on, expounded a little bit on them. So number one, all things arise, cease, change, and become different and cannot be controlled. End of quote. We know that everything is in flux. We invite trouble if we act against this natural law by sticking to a rigid, self-righteous way of thinking. If all 
objects of desire are impermanent and lead to suffering, why continue to grasp for them rather than ceaselessly trying to change the world to suit our desires? It makes more sense to work on changing ourselves to exist in harmony with the world. There is an exquisite quality that arises from, from embracing what is with no separation between awareness and experience. Second realization, a snippet of it. Realize that more desire causes more suffering. Lessen desire and be without any wishes and the body and mind will be at ease. End of quote. Craving for wealth and material possessions impoverishes us morally and spiritually, while freedom from such craving enhances our mental serenity. A Soto Zen monk typically eats rice, pickles, and miso soup and rinses out his bowl with tea at the end. There is a great emphasis on not wasting. Even in contemporary vernacular language, the word Zen has become a synonym for simple, bare, or unadorned. Since fixation on what we can get distorts our perception of reality, we strive to bring some order and simplicity to our lifestyle. Less clutter brings beauty and harmony. Leading a somewhat minimalistic lifestyle is also a powerful way of reducing our fear of loss. Moreover, as the Rinpoche stated, can our fragile planet support billions of people indulging in excessive consumerism? We should think of an old bumper sticker which used to say, live simply so that others may simply live. Third realization, realize that the mind cannot be satisfied, but only seeks more, increasing its wrongdoing and unwholesomeness. A bodhisattva is not like this. He is always satisfied with what he has, is peaceful in poverty, and upholds the way. Wisdom is his concern. End of quote. <clears throat> the great earth gives and nourishes without claiming anything in return. Learning from this cosmic virtue is the ultimate guarantee for contentment. We can focus on the good things in our lives, and then it's much easier to feel contentment. We can take some time each day to reflect on the things we are grateful for. In the morning, we acknowledge our breathing and the fact that we are alive. At mealtime, the abundance. At bedtime, a comfortable bed and the roof over our head. And we sincerely wish for everyone in the world to have such good fortune. From the Zen lore, we pick up the notion that awakening oftentimes comes about in the midst of everyday, ordinary activities carried out with one-pointed awareness maybe while doing dishes or house chores or pouring tea, certainly not while scheming to acquire new gadgets or possessions. Fifth uh, realization, 
A bodhisattva is always mindful, studies widely, and increases his wisdom. Most of the time, our reality is personal and subjective. We can feel poor and inadequate while surrounded by material abundance, or we can feel rich and grateful simply having filled our basic needs. Another way to cultivate contentment is to practice mindfulness. One of the biggest causes of discontent is our tendency to dwell on the past or worry about the future. Focusing on the present moment, it becomes easier to appreciate what we have. Mindfulness also brings an awareness of our thoughts and our feelings, and it allows us not to act impulsively. Of course, contentment cannot be constant since nothing can. We often vacillate between contentment and the pull of unhealthy desires. In order to stabilize, we turn to shikantaza and sutra studies. Sixth realization. A bodhisattva practices giving and has equal concern for, for friend and foe. End of quote. A wonderful way to cultivate contentment comes from the practice of generosity. We can give to others what brings us joy. Uh, some can give music, some can give uh, healing, some can be counselors, some can help others fix their bikes. It's a way of taming our natural greed and of realizing that we actually have more than we need. Generosity is a great way to feel lighter and more serene through letting go of our attachment to material possessions. Our existence actually depends on others and on everything in the universe. Most of what we use in everyday life, our instruments, language, practi our practice was envisioned, crafted, and inherited from others and even from elemental particles. So we learn to respect everyone and everything since the universe is one entity. So now I'm at the end of uh, what I wanted to say about the re eight realizations of great beings, and I'm going to conclude. So contentment, maybe you picked up that it's not the same as apathy or indifference. It's actually a very positive state of mind that allows us to appreciate our life despite its imperfections. And even when our current situation necessitates taking steps in order to implement changes, we are able to do so, at least with minimal attachment. In fact, in the Dharma, wherever we find reference to contentment, mostly effort is con connected with it. The two support each other. So I personally understand contentment as a way to channel our energies by relinquishing the pursuit of happiness and the concept that something in the world out there can bring real happiness, a contented person avoids wasting a lot of time as well as physical and mental energies. And it is precisely, precisely our time as well as 
our physical and mental energies, which need to be conserved as the most precious pillars of a fruitful life. Contentment in this context refers to a state of mind in which the potential psychic energy is transformed into a serene mental quality rather than taking the form of a desire that needs to be either gratified or repressed. And so we build a res reservoir of attention and energy because we want to use these for a good purpose. The Bodhisattva path requires concentration and stability. It doesn't allow for squandering a lot of our potential on futile endeavors. While saving and concentrating our physical and psychic energy to fulfill our bodhisattva vows, we also forsake unnecessary goods that could benefit other beings. We might even enjoy living somewhat frugally and find more energy to devote to practice and to posit positive actions and aspirations. And maybe we'll even be saving some sentient beings simply by treading lightly on the planet. Thank you. You've been listening to a Dharma Talk from Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. To learn more about us or to make a donation, visit us at prairiemountain.org.